unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, we are going back to 1993 to review Jurassic Park, brought to us by Steven Spielberg, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Richard Attenborough. Samuel. Samuel L. Jackson. Yep, this this film was uh, a big event for us when we were younger. Big so, event for many people. Yeah, I'm sure this will be for many people. This was probably their their Star Wars or their or their Jaws, you know, or their James Bond. This 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 still is to this day one of the best known films of the 90s and one of the most successful films of the 90s. Yeah, one of the most successful films of all time. Of you know, all time. it's created a huge billion dollar franchise. It's a landmark in, in CGI special effects. Lots of reasons why we're covering it. Uh, but obviously, we're, we're getting topical as always. So uh, with the release of the latest installment, which is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, uh, obviously uh, 25 years uh, since Jurassic Park came out. So yeah, a great time to do it. So all of the usual stuff, we'll start off with um, some production chat. We'll then talk about our first memories. And then we'll just quickly skip through uh, focusing on what works and what doesn't. We'll tail off with some coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, but before we go any further, here's a quick word from George on some general housekeeping. Yes, so to uh, borrow a phrase from uh, another podcast, we are film lovers, not experts. We aim to entertain. There might be the odd bit of information that we, uh, we get wrong, but we hope there's going to be some trivia uh, over the next hour or so that, um, you know, something you might have not known about the film. So we're going to go into uh, detail about the film. So there will be spoilers from the very off, but it's Jurassic Park. Everyone has seen it. There will be bad impressions. Probably we'll be doing a little bit of Jeff Goldblum uh, over the next hour. There might be the odd bit of uh, colorful language. So if you have little children around, you may need to press play and listen to it at a later date. So we are in the operations room. Uh, we're locked out of the computer right now, thanks to an annoying GIF. But we're hoping, we're just, we're just uh, gonna go and pop the power back on. It's all right, I've worked it out because it's a Unix system. Right, okay, so George has got a CD-ROM. He's gonna pop it in his Unix system. System just as soon as the AOL dial-up kicks in uh, uh, uh. and we're gonna start recording so enjoy the show enjoy phenomenal discovery of our time How'd you do this? becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Universal Pictures presents Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. This is a feeling all over the park. An adventure. Look out! No! I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. 
So George, Jurassic Park, first memories. Now I don't, re- I do, I do remember this was a family outing. I was like thirteen, going on fourteen. You were nine or ten. Yes, yes. Yeah, so we go and see this as a family. With- so, so yeah, it came out. Uh, I think it came out start of June, yeah. uh, nineteen ninety-three, and yeah, it was a family outing uh, to the Metro Centre, yeah. the old UCI there. Yeah, it was an event film. That then you know everyone was going to see it. It was a huge blockbuster um, obviously it had so much PR behind it in terms of do you remember that video because the first trailer was bonkers it was it was fed to us completely seriously and it was like the scientific process it wasn't actually a trailer for the film oh it was all about the it DNA was, it was about, all about how they got the DNA out of a mosquito and you watch it yeah. and I and we all it was sold as this, this is real this yeah. is possible and I think I read on Twitter the other day that scientists have actually said, there's a great, I don't know if it was on Facebook group, on the Empire group, but somebody said, scientists have now proven that in a few years we will be able to uh, reproduce dinosaurs. And somebody's put, I think there's at least five films. Suggesting <laughs> this is a bad idea. Exactly. But it was sold to us like, this is possible. And maybe it was age, maybe it was good marketing and not seeing through it, but I believed it. Yeah, I believe them. <laughs> well, that's it. It was, you know, it it, sense. if you think of the 90s, there was... Uh, a lot of talk about genetic experimentation, cloning, Dolly the sheep, DNA, and uh, and all that jazz. So this film was really impressionistic on me. I had a Velociraptor poster on my wall. I'd got a free, like a 3D poster in the Fun Day Times, if anyone remembers. Got to give them a shout out. Yeah. And I had that up before the film came out. And then after the film came out, I had to take it down because the Velociraptor was terrifying me and couldn't, I couldn't sleep at night. So yes, the film uh, had a, r- a big impression on me, and uh, I had the toys. So I had uh, you had the toys. I don't remember the toys. Yeah, I had a jeep that sort of broke apart. I had uh, a very muscly looking Alan Grant. <laughs> a very m- muscly. There's. Uh, I'll, I'll share it on the blog. But they did uh, Dennis Nedry. You know the the geeky IT guy. They did like a muscly version of him, and he had a flamethrower. Makes sense. Some artistic licensing going on there. Yeah, I I, I properly sort of bought into the, the whole thing as a kid but I was obviously you know target market I mean which kid doesn't love dinosaurs yeah and this this re, I mean the only my only uh, introduction to dinosaurs before this film as you'd imagine was the highly educational dinosaur transformers <laughs> of course of course <laughs> Um, so I wondered why they weren't transforming and made of metal but mm. you know I got I got I think everybody got something from this film so George how did this film get made? There is there is quite some history in who... There was a lot of fighting over who's going to make this film, wasn't there? Yeah, so as many people will probably know, Jurassic Park is based on a novel written by the late Michael Crichton. Uh, so Michael Crichton was a, a best-selling author all the way from the 70s and 80s. So uh, the Andromeda strain, he's the guy that wrote and directed uh, the original Westworld. And obviously Westworld has had a bit of a revival recently, um, but that's based... And obviously it's very very similar theme of robots going nuts in a theme park is not that far away from dinosaurs going nuts in a theme park. Yeah. So yeah, he had written this novel and even before it was published, it practically got into a bidding war. And Crichton actually has history with Spielberg. Um, They became friends in the 70s and I think Spielberg gave him a bit of help when they, when I say Michael Crichton did uh, some directing himself. So he actually shared a, an early draft of the script with Spielberg in the, uh, in the spring of 1990, but the, the actual book wasn't released until I think November that year. 
So yeah, it entered a bidding war even before the book was published. So his agent circulated the book to various studios and directors. So Warner Brothers wanted Tim Burton to direct it, our friend Tim Burton. Just imagine that. Which, yeah, would have been um, goth dinosaurs. Goth dinosaurs and the Danny Elfman soundtrack. <laughs> Johnny Depp running away from dinosaurs. <laughs> um, Hannah Bonham Carter as a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, the voice of a dinosaur. Yes. A very posh dinosaur. And Columbia wanted uh, Richard Donner. Again, that could be a really interesting choice. Uh, so Richard Donner is, you know, cracking director, gave us The Goonies, Superman, Lethal Weapon. 20th Century Fox wanted it for, again, another retro ramble hero, Joe Dante, the director of Gremlins. Uh, Spielberg has a relationship. He was sort of um, embedded with Universal Pictures, so Universal wanted Spielberg to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, a really interesting tidbit came out in the in the past year that it emerged that James Cameron wanted to buy the rights for the film, and he apparently uh, lost out with uh, in the space of a few hours. Just imagine that. You just know that Cameron wouldn't have done the DNA thing. He would have built a time machine, well, and then the the second film would have been the dinosaurs go come back. <laughs> into present day well he uh, yeah no he even said Cameron said that he realised that Spielberg was the best choice because it would a sort of a faithful adaptation of the novel whereas in Cameron's words it would have been aliens but with dinosaurs and wouldn't have been very fair to children so (laughs) I've got some more uh, trivia on uh, on Cameron's vision which I will talk about in uh, Coulda Woulda Shoulda so yeah, as I say, Spielberg and and Universal uh, got the rights. I mean, Spielberg was Crichton's first choice anyway. They paid the princely sum of $2 million for the film rights. And Crichton uh, worked on the, the screenplay with uh, writer David Kep. Um, but Spielberg was only allowed to make those conditions for making this film. So obviously it was a big deal for, for Universal. They'd invest a lot in it. But Spielberg was his passion project at that time was he wanted to make Schindler's List. And Universal said, we'll give you all the funding to do Schindler's List, but you have to do Jurassic Park first. So it was basically those conditions. It's all like one for you, one for us. I was doing both of them almost at the same time. Yeah, back to back. This was uh, like, um, you know, as we talked about in, in Batman, this film was huge in terms of the merchandising rights, the licensees, apparently McDonald's, a host of other, I mean, it was a big deal for Universal because it was um, basically going to... Theme park rights. Yeah, part of their theme parks, lunch boxes, you know, apparently like thousands of separate merchandising spin-offs and apparently generated like 68 million dollars for for all these different licenses which accumulated uh, about a billion dollars worth of, of revenue across all those different licenses it's not about making money george it's about telling a story <laughs> by telling a story being a, a spielberg film you know he had surrounded himself with the same sort of people we've talked about previously so we've on our uh, our last film you know raiders of the lost ark um so it had kathleen kennedy um and she was producing it and uh, in her words she said it's just one of those projects that was obviously a Steven Spielberg film it's he's interested in those themes of extraordinary things happening to ordinary people and fair dues for, for, for Spielberg he says in the um, in the documentaries there's a, there's a brilliant actually uh, a documentary available on Sky um, all about Spielberg and, and his career and he talks about the thing the two things that hooked him were dinosaurs and DNA and you know that, that point that you were talking about in terms of the teaser trailer the fact that it, it, the realistic aspect that this could actually happen. Yeah. 
Again, like Raiders, every single action sequence in this film was storyboarded almost two years before they even shot the scenes. So it shows how meticulous Spielberg is in terms of capturing that action. I think he's learned from mistakes. He knows what he's doing, you know? And I think that's why, um, and it's obviously keeps him uh, within budget as well. Well, I think the thing about his films is that they, he's always got a certain way that he wants to tell a story. We've talked about this because obviously, apologies, we have, we have covered a number of Spielberg films, but I mean, come on, the guy, the guy's up there. He's got to be, he will go down in history as one of the best directors of all time. And obviously from the eighties and nineties, but he has a certain way of, a certain way of balancing a film with action, scares, and I wouldn't say schmaltzy, but you know, some slightly corny, cheesy moments to kind of, Give it a bit more heft. Yeah, you know, give, give the film a bit more meaning. And yeah, it's it's raise it. raise the stakes. I mean, I think the, the the thing about Spielberg, and it's it must be tough because a lot of people were quite like sneery about him being just a blockbuster director, and I think that's why he wanted to try and do more personal projects, like you know, uh, Schindler's List, Schindler's List. Uh, and he's doing a lot more stuff these days a lot more sort of serious and weighty stuff that's why it was actually quite nice to see him go back and do something fun like Ready Player One but watching this film again it just reminded me so much of Jaws yeah me too so much of Jaws in terms of of that tension through it's what you don't see yeah, and what you hear. Yeah, it's what you hear and what you hear. What you can't put your finger on the rustling bushes is you. What were you saying to me? It's replacing the the, 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 the you know chopping of waves. You know the, the the sort of you know rustling. You know through. It's amazing how much you can convey. How much tension you can yeah by some rustling bushes and some really effective sound effects. But that obviously takes us on to the special effects. Are these characters uh, auto? Erotica? This film, yeah, as I say, is a, a landmark film for CGI. And it annoys me slightly because obviously the real sort of benchmark for me, that groundbreaking CGI was two years earlier with Terminator 2. Yeah. But it is the, the same people that are behind it. So ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, um, who were a, a company first started by George Lucas uh, for Star Wars. So the original plan and what had been done previously for dinosaur films was to do a, a mix of animatronics and stop motion. So um, there's a guy called uh, Phil Tippett who is a legendary stop motion animator and he was brought on board to look at, okay, how can we do it with stop motion with maybe some minimal CGI enhancements? Yeah, just to make it look slightly. Yeah. However, because of their work on Terminator 2, ILM, and a guy that was leading it, a guy called Dennis Muren, they learned so much doing the T-1000 effects with like metals and stuff. And they were like, we think we can crack it with, with CGI, like completely. And Spielberg was, his words were, we'll prove it, you know, make, do a test yeah. reel for me. So they did some tests and they showed it to everyone and uh, in, including Paul Phil Tippett. And as soon as they saw the test footage, t uh, Phil Tippett's words were, I'm extinct. <laughs> my, my job is ruined. But it, there was still a bit of hope for, for Paul Phil because... They didn't go all the way. They were going to do everything in CGI. Well, they, 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 they still used uh, a lot of stop motion. So for part of the storyboarding process, uh, Phil Tippett did all the, the stop motion for that. But they also um, created this thing called... DID, the dinosaur input device. So <laughs> it was basically a posable animatronic model, but it had sensors on it that was programmed into the computer. So, because the great thing about 
Phil Tippett's sort of uh, craft was that he could get he captured the movement accurately yeah. that you couldn't get in a mimic the gestures yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's, in a similar way that we talk about in terms of motion capture you know with the dots and things like that it was a stop motion version of h- how the dinosaurs could move so and that was recorded into the computer but the, the genius thing with this film is that merge between what's real and what's CGI because there was still a huge amount of animatronics done by uh, the late great Stan Winston. So Stan Winston, again, we've talked about him before because he is, um, you know, he was all over the 80s and 90s, the man responsible for giving us the Terminator endoskeleton. He built the alien queen. He gave us the predator. So his creature studio created all these uh, real-life animatronics that were computer-controlled by puppeteers. And uh, it's amazing seeing the behind-the-scenes footage of like people, like all the puppets and stuff, like how they're remotely controlling and, stuff, and the, the the fact that these things were so big and and real that people, you know, really did were a bit terrified by this life-size animatronic T-Rex. Yeah, I can imagine, imagine that tearing around the office. But you know, I hear all this, George. It all sounds fancy. Sounds quick, but it sounds expensive. Wouldn't it be cheaper to get a monkey, <laughs> put, the, put the monkey in a dinosaur suit, and then a trained a trained chimpanzee? Obviously, I think that they missed a trick there, I or think, maybe they learned. I from, think that guy was still doing the rounds at the Universal Backlot. Hey, come on, guys! You can put a dinosaur outfit on him. Why? Why invest in this expensive uh, animatronic it, it, technology when I've got I've got po- Pogo, Pogo the monkey? Yeah, he's up for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there was this huge amount of, of special effects work required. So uh, we talked about you know Spielberg film this and Schindler's List back to back. So much so he was in. Uh, so he'd done the production on Jurassic Park, went straight into sh- shooting Schindler's List in uh, Poland. And what he was having to do via satellite link-up was he was doing all the post-production editing with ILM based in San Francisco. So he would shoot uh, Schindler's List during the day, then go back to his hotel room and do post-production on Jurassic Park. So he was like finding very emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. Um, But interestingly, uh, I find out my uh, research that to keep Universal happy because they were obviously a little bit concerned he was a bit removed from the editing, uh, Spielberg brought in George Lucas to oversee any production that he physically couldn't manage. Wow. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe putting some, some lightsabers in it. <laughs> and I think that's it in terms of the special effects, the, the but production. Every, everybody knew this was going to be a big film. That's why there were so many studios going after it, so many big names. You just look at the premise. It's like, what, we're bringing dinosaurs back? Yeah, and they're all on an island, and it's a theme park, and it, you know. Well, well that's, I mean, Crichton was such a you know, a powerhouse author. It was like, you know, the must-read novel of, of the time. And Well, I remember this. This was my, this was the first time I'd seen it where, because obviously the timing of him bringing in Spielberg and involving him before the book had released, I remember this being a big thing. I remember before, it, it was in the run-up, it was part of the marketing. It was like based on the best-selling novel by Michael Crichton, but mm. the book had hardly been out, but it was like the book was out 
And I didn't see the book until after I'd, like in shops, yeah. until after I'd, um, I recognized the logo, um, which you see everywhere throughout the film, which is pointed out by yeah. uh, Honest Trailers. But yeah, it was the first time that I can remember of this, this book, Tyne, and obviously the name of Michael Crichton, who has gone on to do, you know, some, some other great stories. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think he died uh, of cancer about five, ten years ago, maybe right. more. So yeah, he's, he did quite a few um, big novels. There's Westworld, there's The Andromeda Strain, there's Jurassic Park, the Jurassic Park, The Lost World. One of our sort of favorite novels, he's a very cinematic writer. Yeah. Uh, one of our favorite novels, Timeline, which wow. was a terrible film. Uh, ironically, that is a film that definitely needs to be remade. That was a great, great book. Yeah. Sorry, a book that should be, uh, somebody should have another stab at that. Yes. Well, that was actually bizarrely linking back to what I was That was made by Richard Donner, the Timeline film. So, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah a real I can't mystery. even remember that film. I know that we, we watched it together. It's, it's it's got Paul Walker and Jared Butler and need I say more? No, that's enough. Okay. Yeah, um, so I think that's it in terms of I'm going to talk about the, the differences between the novel and the film. I think I'll talk about after the review because there's we a lot of We don't spoil yeah. our own spoiler podcast. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So should we uh, should we get cracking with the uh, the main review? Yeah, I mean, um, I love the I love the way this film starts. I love the, it's a bit of a, there's some long introductions of characters. Well, well, you and I were talking about this. Like, I completely forgot about the opening of this film. Well, yeah, the scene on the island with the escaped—I'm guessing raptor. Um, yeah, because I, I, I said I was like, "This is the trailer from the Lost World," and I was like, "No, no, this." Well, that's it. I mean, it's again. I think that's that sort of that has that echoes of Jaws. That sort of you don't know what's in there and there's a yeah. lot of palpable tension. It's all and, and, it's, and it, it's the sound effects, it's the lights, smoke. Yeah. yeah. Brilliantly presented. And, and it's, it's, it's a really bold and quite scary opening. And it's, it's a bit like, you know, same with Jaws with the, the guy and the girl go for a swim and then she's, all of a sudden she's been dragged around. It's really, really shocking. And yeah, I completely forgot. I thought the film just opened with Alan Grant digging in the desert. That's how I remember it. And I think it's how you remember it. Uh, just, you know, Alan Grant terrorizing children with claws. I'm going to get you from here to here. Yeah, he's, he's great with kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I also got about the quite sort of seems a bit like a necessary bit, the, which feels like an excerpt from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're digging for Amber. The, the lawyers being dragged along on the, that water platform in the middle of the jungle or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, to reinforce the PR. But I mean, I, I forget because we were just talking about that opening scene where the the raptor pulls that guy but that's the reason why they have to have the experts visit the island isn't it because there's been a fatality yes so this is the first so yeah i'll uh well yeah in the in the novel it's um it's actually there's a quite a long drawn out bit in the book about the dinosaurs have actually reached the mainland that and there's been a few people like it um these small dinosaurs have been attacking small children yeah and and that's when it sort of gets through they find this part of a dinosaur tail on the beach and alan grant gets to sort of analyze it and was like and that's when john hammond brings him in to because yeah the whole insurance claim but they they, they condense that whole bit and i think they use bits of that novel in the lost world film there's i think the opens with that with a little girl getting attacked by yeah. by little dinosaurs 
But yeah, as you say, it's, it's all down to an insurance claim. That's why the, Alan and his smoking heart assistant um, are, are brought on board. Is it his assistant? Is it his wife? No, no, they, they are a couple. And again, that's something that is, is, is being invented for the film. The, in the novel, uh, Grant's a bit older and Statler, Ellie Statler, is effectively his like grad student. There's no romance between them, but mm-hmm. I think it adds to the tension. Obviously, there's a little bit of frisson with uh, our favourite man, Mr. Goldblum. Well, there is. I, I've made a point of saying I love the running jokes in this film. Basically, that um, Sam Neill is a klutz, not ready to have kids. Uh, typical dad, dad jokes. Terrible with technology. Yeah. Whereas Goldblum is uh, is a cool genius, and he's just hitting on Sam Neill's girl for the entirety of the film, and she's a flirt. She's yeah. flirting with it. She's loving. Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, he's a rock star mathematician. Exactly. And hit, whereas Sam Neill is getting excited about bones, um, but they're in the middle of a dig. John Hammond turns up and they just like, <laughs> we can't, we're working. Oh no, we'll do anything for money. <laughs> yeah, sort of like, how much did you say? Yeah. And, and the one thing that you and I, you know, shows that we haven't watched this for some time, we're both surprised that John Hammond's Scottish. I hear what I mean, Paul. When he turns up, he's got a really thick, hey, sports shorts. He's got a really uh, but then sort of accent. Fades up by the end of the film. He's just like, he has some English. Typical Dickie Attenborough. And I think he goes a bit Irish at one point as well so his his accent is all over the shop great to see uh, Dickie Attenborough he's got like such a uh, a presence obviously you know uh, Richard Attenborough is he's an actor he's obviously a legendary uh, director as well and he was a massive uh, hero of Spielberg so to get him for this film yeah, yeah and I think it was the first role he did I think in over like 15 years so it was you know a big deal to get him back in into film but you can see on the behind the scenes footage it's really like sweet that him and Spielberg's just like full of glee working with one of his heroes yeah he, he was also like quite it gave a lot of input into how the character should be of uh, of Hammond um, well he does a good job I mean obviously at the start he's so passionate it's his project and it's like spend no expense <laughs> well I and think I think we should say from, from uh, there can be a great drinking game of how many times he says spare no expense yeah because it's, it's actually nicely punctuated throughout the film it's a, but his character arc is um he just does a great job I mean but it descends you know but see his, that's where his real acting comes acting yeah acting dear boy yeah it comes out um, at the end when obviously it's it's all it's all going a bit Pete Tong really spectacular spared no expense and spared no expense spared no expense we spared no expense spared no expense we were introduced to uh, Dr. Grant and Statler. We've met the very Scottish, well, for, for, at that point anyway, John Hammond. But then we go to San Jose, uh, the beach on San Jose, even though it's in the middle of Costa Rica. But don't worry about that. Um, apparently, that was um, annoyed when it was shown in Costa Rica. The uh, theatre owner scratched or blurred the, the tag at the bottom screen that said San Jose because they didn't want to offend people by saying, because I say, San Jose is nowhere near the coast. Yeah. Um, but we've got our first introduction to Dennis Nedry, uh-huh. the, the evil hacker that's uh, selling off the, uh, the, the DNA um, to, uh, and again, that's something the, the novel spends yes. a lot more time Isn't it the Yes, the, the, the embryos, the dino embryos. But then as quick, we uh, get to meet everyone else. So we get to meet the, the marvelous Jeff Goldblum with that amazing laugh. <laughs> 
What a laugh. Uh, and it also, so it's released Jeff Goldman, but it's also released John Williams' amazing score. Yeah. I think our first proper dino sighting is about 20 minutes in. And we're, in terms of characters, the, one of our favorite characters and the one who's still earning the most money out of them, the first time we hear Samuel L. Jackson, the first two times that we hear him and it's spread out, you still haven't met him. It's over the PA system. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's, that, it's one of the things that you forget about that, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson at that time was just a, a jobbing, you know, bit part actor but such a distinctive voice yeah and that's just like that's Samuel <laughs> and yeah it's, it's nuts to think that yeah as you say he's probably the the biggest earning uh, actor out of all those stars now but yeah we get to see the first uh, dinosaurs and the, the CGI does have a real weight to it and it obviously helps with that's when John Williams school really sort of comes into I mean it's, you know that score is iconic da, 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 da. yeah we haven't got time to spend too much time with the dinosaur because we need to know how did the dinosaurs get here yeah and instead of what's where's the it's Jennifer Aniston this is the science bit yeah whereas instead of general exposition we have Mr. DNA yeah and to be fair to um, Crichton and David Kep, it's a really good way to condense the the, the science stuff and get it get it out of the way in get the it out of the way yeah for for Spielberg he said it was you know he, he realises that the, the film's too long he said um, he goes I already know it's, it's, it's too long in the first 45 minutes there's nothing I can do about it because I feel it's important that some of the background terms of chaos theory and DNA cloning set the stage for the audience so for the second half of the film you don't have to worry about thinking it it's, you can just sit back and enjoy the action yeah and, and, and that's it the, the thing that keeps coming through in the behind the scenes is the, is the realism that they they want they didn't want this to be fancy as you say they wanted you to make this this could actually happen yeah because yeah it makes it more terrifying I just love it it does look a little bit dated uh, smoking is cool and everywhere <laughs> well no but the the thing is it's like uh, the, the fact the amount that Samuel Jackson smokes in the film you know he's gonna die yeah <laughs> but it's like yeah the close-ups where he's like basically just smoking the filter yeah <laughs> so we get to finally meet Samuel Jackson as uh, the the man who's running the uh, the operations um, we get to um, meet well, the uh, the scientists who are making it the uh, the the eggs yeah but it's okay we made them all female made them all female um what could possibly go wrong there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained life breaks free it expands to new territories and it crashes through barriers painfully maybe even dangerously but uh so there it is life uh finds a way goldblum has some of the best dialogue in this film it's really snappy dialogue i mean one of the things that the book is is guilty of it goes into like Crichton has a real hard-on for chaos theory and spends a lot of time delving into it um, whereas they make it really nice and concise in in this film my, my question is 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 goldblum acting following the script or just being jeff goldblum <laughs> uh, uh, life uh, uh, finds uh, a way uh, there it is yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, again, we're sort of 
there's a lot of teasing of the the raptors. We don't see the raptors till quite late on the film, so we're still just getting the, the sound effects, the rustling of the bushes, uh, spared no expense. And then we're introduced to the uh, being, this being a Spielberg film, the child characters. Yes, let's bring in some ch child characters so people can resonate with that. And, and as with any Spielberg film, they are children of divorce. <laughs> they, but again, that sort of add stakes you know uh, to to the film there's obviously that that childish wonder and you get to see the fancy cars with an interactive cd-rom wow i mean wave of the future um so yeah they actually enter jurassic park and we get mr goldblum what's chaos theory so with his little trick with the the, the butterfly effect and yeah, the, the water running down yeah which is kind of a bit I don't know. Is that, is well, it's, it's just an, uh, an, uh, a chance for Goldblum to uh, to get a bit sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> we do love him. We do love the But we, by the end of the film, we really want Timmy to die. I think it's safe to say that, yes, we do want little Timmy to, to why, die. Why can't he just die? Be a good, be a good little kid, but no. Uh, and there's this other running joke where the kids keep saying, he's going to leave us. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Just wait here. Bye, bye, <laughs> and then leaves them again. It's like yeah. yeah. So yeah, m we get to see that Alan Grant really doesn't like kids, and they kind of want him to be their dad, yeah. like straight away. They're like, "We'll be your father figure." Yeah, it's it's they it's immediate. It's immediate. Um, so yeah, they're on the tour, um, but shit's gonna go wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, there's fences. Everything's protected. Oh, no. Spared no expense. But I haven't paid my IT guy enough. Yeah. <laughs> I should have paid him a little bit more money. And we didn't really have a plan for when there's a bit of, you know, when there's a storm, we just evacuate. Yeah, just get, get out. I don't know if I've spotted, but um, I remember seeing something online. There's quite a big goof when Nedry is planning his escape. He's talking to the boat captain and he's like, I can only wait so long. You know, he's talking to him via video. If you actually look at the screen, it's just a movie file. There's a play button and you're just seeing the tracking thing. It's just like an Apple yeah. um, MOV file, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a bit of uh, trivia and I'm not sure if you are aware of this because it actually only came out. Somebody only spotted it as late as last year. But there is a connection to Goonies with this film. Do you know what it is? Do I know what it is? Do I know what it is? No. Dennis Nedry's outfit, he has basically, he is an amalgamation of uh, three different characters from the Goonies. I can see the jacket, so, yeah. So I'm going to show you this now. So uh, apologies, uh, dear listeners. I'm going to show, I've got this something on my screen that I'm going to show Charlie. This will be on the blog. Um, but yes, we will, we will share it on the blog. But effectively, um, when we first I'm see... I'm thinking I can see Mikey's jacket already. Yeah, when we see, uh, first see De Dennis Nedry, he's wearing a lovely Hawaiian shirt on yeah. the beach. Yeah. Just like chunk is and it is pretty much an identical shirt then he's wearing a as you say a, a gray sort of bomber jacket that um, that mouth uh, wears from uh, you know Corey Feldman's character 
And then finally, when he's making his escape, he's wearing a yellow Mac, just like Mikey. And technically, looking at that last shot, he's actually wearing all three. Exactly. So, so that's a bit of a tenuous. I mean, whoever spotted that? Well, that's that must it. have just. That must have. That sounds like um, like water cooler chat. That that's that's probably one of the behind of the scenes of the crew or something. Do you know what I mean? Or well, that's probably it, been it, in a book it, or something. It just it just seems like such a bizarre little Easter egg to put in there. But it's just nuts that yeah, it's taken obviously the with the magic of, of social media and what have you, someone as late as last year spotting this almost 25 years to spot it. <laughs> nice little nugget of nice information. Little. So Sam, Sam Neill's being really awkward with kids. And we're okay with a girl, but we both really want Timmy to die. And it's looking like it could happen. Yeah, because we've, well, we've got the, uh, I say, shit starts going wrong. So all the power's down. They break down in front of the T-Rex pen. Mm-hmm. And... This is probably, would you say, one of the most, something we talked about lots in uh, Raiders, iconic, one of the most iconic pieces of popular cinema. It still looks amazing today. But but that whole thing of the the vibration. Yeah, I mean, I can do it right now. Just hit the table, see the water thing, and it was parodied in so many things. And I mean, yeah, it 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 was making its mark. And nobody will ever forget that. It's like sound then a little bit of sight and just like soft and just brilliant building of tension. And apparently this came from, from uh, Spielberg's idea. He called up the effects guys and he goes, you know, I'm thinking about how, how do we build up that tension of the T-Rex uh, arriving? And he's like, I've been, I've been listening to some music in my car and I noticed the bass was making my wing mirror shake. Can mm-hmm. we do that? But what else can we do? And they actually recreated that, that effect of the, the ripples on the water by, I think, attaching a g- guitar string underneath the dashboard and, and t- twanging a guitar string effectively. Yeah. That created the right effect. It's such an amazing scene because the whole joke is they go on the tour and they don't see any dinosaurs. Careful what you wish for. Exactly. Because the, the T-Rex is not there. They're like, oh, I wanted to I, see that. I, where's the goat? Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's it. It's just such a, a master in intention. So that's when it goes nuts. It attacks the the kids' car. The the kids are going. They're panicking. Uh, Alan Grant's the only one who knows what to do because he knows so much about them. I don't know how he knows that the T Rex can't sense movement, but that is a brilliant scene where he's just sat and grabbing the girl, and the T Rex is just millimeters away from them. <laughs> that was a brilliant uh, scene. Obviously, Jeff Goldblum is a genius, but he doesn't know what to do. He he <laughs> runs off with a flare, gets himself injured, and immobilized, kind of. And potentially, is it Jeff Goldblum's fault? He leads the dinosaur to uh, the toilet. Yeah. He gets the lawyer whacked. Yeah. The lawyer who's think of the money. Yeah. Put that down. Is it heavy? It's expensive. Yeah. That's a great line. As I say, we've we've had the characters developed, uh, we've had the story set, everything's in place, and then it just like descends. And I think one of the best kills, in my opinion, is the is that dinosaur that takes out uh, Dennis, mm-hmm. the, the one that blinds Nedry. Him. Yeah, Nedry. Well, yeah, yeah I realise it's been a while that we've we've done quite a few podcast episodes and we haven't mentioned our old neighbours, the Glendinnings, but uh, God, yeah. uh, James Glendinning, a, a memory I have of his is he does a brilliant impression of that particular dinosaur. So... Um, so James if you're listening um, Uh, get it on video get it on video send it in so we can share it with with the listeners that is because it's oh look it's a a nice friendly little one it's hopping around 
found. Yeah. Um, apparently, yeah, that is that dinosaur is completely made up. That it doesn't it doesn't have <laughs> spitting venom. It doesn't have the frilly cobra thing. But they are. It doesn't blind you. Before yeah. It kills but it you. works. It yeah. works. It's it's a great scene. It's poetic justice for Nedry. Yeah. Getting getting whacked. And then I think that cuts to. Well, um, then they're just like trying to escape, aren't they? They well, yeah, actually get away from the T Rex. They go back to the center. There's no power. Well, there's the. So you've got. I mean, that T Rex scene, you think it's all over, but then the car gets thrown into the tree. Oh, God, you ever gotten Timmy's still not dead? T- Timmy still hasn't died. Timmy's in the car. And you think Timmy should be dead. And they, they think Timmy's they dead. They think Timmy's dead. Then the car starts falling down the tree. I mean, it's, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat. Piling, piling on the tension. Even like though raising, I'm raising the stakes. Even though I'm, I'm a little bit confused. And I think, again, this is a bit of a mistake that all of a sudden there's a massive drop down the side of the T-Rex pen that wasn't there beforehand. And was that not with the T-Rex coming over there? Yeah, but the T-Rex steps over and then yeah. there's all of a sudden a massive drop. So where did that come from? I thought that was created by the T-Rex. Anyway. Oh, call Steven Spielberg right now. Um, but then there's the whole bit with the T-Rex versus the Jeep when they go to rescue Tim, when they go to rescue Jeff Goldblum. Must go faster. Must go faster. Yeah. And that which is parodied brilliantly in Toy Story. Yes. With, uh, <laughs> with, is, he, is he known as Rex in, in Toy Story? I think Story? he's called Rex in Toy Story where they're trying to drive away and he's in the, he's in the wing mirror. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that is a great side gag. The uh, objects may, in the mirror may be closer than they appear. Yeah, yeah. Objects in the rearview mirror. But it also showed how big a deal Jurassic Park was. The fact it was being parodied in a film like Toy Story. Well, it's every it's, it's parodied in Wayne's World. Yeah. Um, Give me the flashlight, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the zeitgeist of the time. It quickly gets into how do they get the power back on? So Samuel, Samuel isn't going to make it. Yeah. And apparently, I think there was... Um, He's died in a lot of his films. He does not care about dying, as we've seen in Deep Blue Sea. I think he did originally have a, a different death scripted, but the actual the filming, because they were filming in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and there was a massive tropical storm that halted filming. And I don't know if it ruined any sets, but the, it's on the behind the scenes. There was this huge... I think it was a hurricane. So it really affected the filming. And apparently, one of the anecdotes is that uh, Dickie Attenborough slept through the the entire thing and they're like how did you sleep through a hurricane he's like well dear boy I survived the blitz so I can sleep through anything <laughs> but Hawaii's like that I've been there and it's just like everyone's when you see people's pictures of Hawaii with sun that's not what it's like it's, it's an island there's constant weather systems and when I was there there was a storm that took out the beach you know, like created a ravine and there was water coming down the mountain. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is a crazy place that you can drive from the beach and then you can go up into like what looks like Welsh countryside with cows and then you keep going higher and then it turns into like volcanic. So it looks like Mars. Yeah. And that's, it's all, all within half an hour's drive. Well, I suppose that's why it's a bit like Iceland uh, in terms of... It's, it's used it, for so many... Yeah, it's used yeah. for so many films because it's got so many different terrains. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Samuel is sad killed off screen we just see as a part of his arm when Statler goes to re- reboot the generator being guided via walkie talkie via a sexy sexy Jeff Goldblum yeah take a left <laughs> and uh, we've got that whole thing with uh, Muldoon who's the uh what is he? Is he security or the, the, the He's the guy? only security guy that the island has. Yeah. So um, I mean, he's, he's got the only gun. <laughs> he's got the only gun, but he's he's a brilliant actor. I can't really remember what else he's been. He would have been. He's, you remember him from having lots of supporting roles. Yeah. So obviously, again, one of his hunting and then becoming hunted by the raptors. Clever girl. 
<laughs> one, one of my uh, favorite quotes. Yeah. That's a great scene where the, the raptors are, are like uh, are hunting him. And that's when the first time we get to properly see the raptors. You know? Yeah. Again, it's like the, the Jaws thing. We've, we've gone throughout the whole film without seeing them. Well, we did have that bit at the start where Dickie Attenborough and you see the birth of a raptor. It's like, I'm not insane. I'm not obsessed with birth, but I have to be here. I'm the first person to touch these animals. Like, so they bond with me. Yeah, sorry, dinosaurs. <laughs> Got that great moment with uh, the rebooting of the system whilst the kids are climbing that perfectly fine electric fence. <laughs> that's a good bit of tension building, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's when I'm, I'm like going, still hoping Timmy, Timmy's going to get, Timmy's going to be toast. So is Alan Grant. He's really hoping that Timmy's going to buy it as well. <laughs> yeah, take time, Timmy, take time. Pretty much you're straight into another brilliant moment of tension where the raptors are hunting the kids in the kitchen. And that's a really... I mean, that whole scene in the center with the velociraptors is amazing. Still to this day, I think that's worth pointing out. I mean, that I made a point of saying to George after watching this that what surprised me, considering the tricks they used to do with CGI to avoid it looking obvious, was you, you tended to get the majority of the big CGI scenes were shot at night. And watching this film again, yes, the T-Rex still stand, stands up. It's great. But I was, um, I was so impressed with the stuff during the day. Well, I think that's that it. stuff in the, set, in the in the center when the raptors, are, the velociraptors, are trying to get the girl. They're trying to get the kids, and it's like trying to get through the door. Well, I think that's it. That's that's why this film is probably such a benchmark opposed to Terminator Two, because Terminator Two, the the special effects are all around like shiny metal, like yeah, and the liquid metal. Whereas this, you had to get muscle tone and shadow and and things like that. So it's yeah, they they have a real sort of. And I think the, because when Jurassic World came out, and that was 2015, everyone was saying that the special effects look worse than the original Jurassic Park, but I think... Because they didn't know, um, they didn't know physical stuff. Yeah, they did, they did hardly any animatronics, and I think that's the brilliant thing, is that that merge between, and it's, again, like we talked about in, uh, in Terminator 2, there's actually the... the it's so amazing because they've done that seamless blend between what's animatronic and what's CGI. Yeah. And there's actually in that whole raptors in the kitchen scene, you think a lot of it's CGI, but as a lot of it, it will be, it's guys wearing the raptors legs, like puppets, you know, uh, yeah. artists, performers and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's, I think that's why it's, it's so well done. It's that, it's that perfect sort of balance of real effects and uh, digital effects. <laughs> So we have that brilliant scene and there's the money shots. One, one, one thing that hasn't dated very well, we're talking about, you know, the special effects have, but the thrill of Lex, the little girl, operating a Unix system. It's a Unix system. I'm a bit of a hacker. I love computers. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. You didn't say the magic word. This heck of crap. But yeah, it's a Unix system. What, what this? This is a CD-ROM. <laughs> I think this is down to casting, but another change from uh, the books is that the in the book it's the girl is the is is the youngest and the boy's older. And I don't know if it because Spielberg auditioned uh, the kid who plays Little Timmy. I think he's an actor called Joseph Masello or something like that. Um, he was actually auditioned for Hook for mm -hmm. Spielberg's last one but it was deemed too young 
And basically Spielberg said, I really like you, kid, but don't worry, I'll save a spot for you in my next film. It's a one about dinosaurs. So I think they changed the ages of the kids round to, because mm-hmm. I say Spielberg really liked uh, this kid. And to be fair, he does, you know, does a good job in the film. I think bizarrely, he uh, ended up, uh, he's grown up and was in the uh, Pacific, you know, the World War II series of the sequel to Band of Brothers. Oh, right. Okay. I have um, not seen that. I love Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers is, is awesome. But no, I, I haven't seen uh, the Pacific either. I need to give that a watch. So we're, I suppose, yeah, we're, we're at the end. The, the We think the raptors are going to get them. They're going to get... But then the, the heroic T-Rex turns up to save them. Yeah, it comes to save the day. You've got the money shot. Somebody gets out and, you know, obviously the kid needs to be resuscitated so he gets some Sam, Sam to mouth. <laughs> um, it's all right. He's, save, he's saving mm. a life. And then um, Sam Neill, sorry, Alan Grant, um, leaves the kids alone again. <laughs> um, but no, the kitchen... Uh, watching that watching this whole thing again I realized that this is the scene that I think about when I think of this film like in my head I just think them going through the gates I think of the T-Rex scene and I think the kitchen scene but for me this is everything I love about Spielberg and it's why I will watch a film with his corny movements with him plucking our heartstrings with the soundtrack I will take all of that because I love what he's able to do with suspense with action so I'm willing to take all the other stuff that comes with it and to be fair I think it's the payoff I think the suspense and the action actually does because he's, everything is you're, everything is building building up to this and that uh, kitchen scene is still one of my favourite scenes in cinema so well that's it I mean he is yeah so he's, he's, he's a master of the tension and he really like I think you know before this film came out everyone you know talks in terms of dinosaurs it was always about you know T-Rex King of the Dinosaurs Triceratops but I don't think anyone really knew what a raptor was I mean just you know by taking no, they were the most uh, and and yeah since they've, they've he's turned it into you know it's, I say it's a, a prehistoric version of Jaws he's turned it into is there they're a terrifying creation the, the point I wanted to make that, that I, I mentioned before about John Hammond is that I, I like the fact that he he brings his acting chops to the table with when you see everything going wrong and his dream falling apart is you see him descending and his realization or you know like when he sits down so he, it's like well that's yeah there's a brilliant acting there's a yeah there's a he does that he's trying to hold it all together of, of sort of he's a little bit mad he has to be you know to think it, the idea would work but there's a genuine sadness you know that bit where they're having to leave the island and he's like you know, you can see it physically taking its toll, and again, it's it's the Spielberg effect. We've, you know, we've talked about this in the, in the past that, and I think it's obviously the input from Richard Attenborough. But um, in the interestingly, in the novel, he's um, he's a much more cynical sort of CEO type guy in terms of mad millionaire. I've put my notes uh, more Mike Ashley and less Walt Disney. <laughs> he's yeah, he's he's very arrogant and brash and he actually gets killed at the end of the novel he mm-hmm. he takes a, a fall and stumbles and then starts getting picked off by these little dinosaurs yeah. so um, again that's something that Spielberg's made him more of a, a tragic figure you know mm-hmm. and, you know, and obviously that by brilliant performance by uh, Attenborough but if you just see it's actually obviously we were making a joke about and everybody knows this how many times he says um, spare no expense spare no expense but it's the last one at the end that's like, spare no 
expense. He's like, everything's falling apart. And it's like, where's the thing? Where's the thing? He's like, we spent no expense. He's like, he, it's the line. And I think it, like you can hear, yeah. it's like the descend of his role. Is it the, the way he says it changes yeah. until the last one where it's almost like a, a yelp for help. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's got clear talent. I think everyone has a character arc. Like Alan Grant proves that he can be a dad. Yeah. That he has got the he's good, good with kids. Yeah. Um, Helen does prove that even though she's a ridiculous flirt, that she she still wants to be with Alan. The only person who doesn't seem to have a character arc is Jeff Goldblum. Who Jeff kind Goldblum of is still Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum throughout. But yeah, he's just just that scene of him, and we put it on our blog. And it is you've got to check this out if you've not seen it. In my opinion, it is one of the I'd say the cleverest movie gifts I've ever seen. So two 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 gifts from the same film, Sam Neill. Where he putting his head on a dinosaur and then being, being superimposed onto onto Jeff Goldblum. Just search for it. It is you will not be disappointed. Uh, it is it's it's just genius. Yeah, it is it is amazing, and it's and it's interesting. Almost as amazing as Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> almost almost as amazing. I mean, there's some weird uh, memes on this and gifts. I mean, there's. I was showing Charlie last night. There's, you know, magical few seconds where Jeff Goldblum does this weird laugh. Somebody has edited it on a loop for ten minutes on YouTube. Yeah, um, it's, it's quite. It's it's, it's 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 almost hypnotic. <laughs> but yeah, interesting. I'll I'm, I'll just finish up with the sort of differences um, between the the novel and the film. So so yeah, I've talked about Hammond being a, quite an unlikable character. About the dinosaurs actually turning up on land first. You talked yeah. about that. Gennaro, so the lawyer. Um, is actually more of a heroic. He's, he's, he's described as being quite tall and buff, and he actually is more sort of proactive in in the novel in actually helping like save people. But what they've actually done, because there's a uh, a character and I can't remember his name in the novel, but he's basically the head of um, PR that's in in the novel, and he's the more cowardly, cynical role. So they seem to have taken this guy's the PR guy's character traits and transplanted it to Gennaro. So he's a, a cynical and cowardly lawyer. Well, when you say cynical, cowardly and head of PR, I'm thinking around the same sort of time they should have got that guy from License to Kill. Oh, yes. The real Weasley guy who's complaining, Sanchez, fans, fans, yeah. just, you know, think of the money. Yeah, or the guy from Die Hard. Y- yes. Oh, <laughs> Hans Bubby. Yeah. Sorry, we're, we're going off on tangents here. Um, we're making up our own coulda, woulda, shouldas. Bizarrely, in the novel, Ian Malcolm, the, the Jeff Goldblum character, gets like mortally injured so throughout like for the sort of second half of the book he's basically rambling about he's doped up on morphine Mm -hmm. because he's like he's basically bleeding to to death um rambling about chaos theory and it implies that by the end of the film he's he's died but then due to the success of jurassic park um michael crichton brings back he's the lead character in the lost world so he retroactively says no you know I said he died he, he actually got better yeah, he, got, he, got, he got, got saved he got saved he got hopped on the back of a, of a pelican and flew away um, and another the uh, the ending is a, is a bit more dramatic in the novel so yeah Hammond's dead by a dinosaur Malcolm's dead and the Costa Rican army turn up to napalm the island wow <laughs> which I think they kind of sort of hint on at the end of Jurassic Park 3 but again I think they ran out of money so you don't they <laughs> They turn up, but you don't see anything. You and I went to see Jurassic Park 3 together, but I cannot remember that song. I remember liking it. I yeah. think it, it's, it's probably the... seems to be everyone's least favourite 
Jurassic Park film. We were talking about this. I, neither of us remember seeing all of the Lost Worlds. I've seen uh, loads of it, but just not, I, I, not in a complete run. It was always uh, on uh, telly or video and stuff. And I just uh, never again, it has, it has some standout moments. There's a brilliant bit where the trailer RV thing is hanging off the... That's the, the bit I've the, seen. The, the, the cliff <laughs> with, with the cracking glass. Yeah. Um, there's a brilliant bit where the raptors are picking off all the hunters in the bushes. Again, yeah. it's those moving bushes. And again, it's, it's very Jaws-esque. But then it just, it's, the thing that really annoys me about that film, the, the sort of tacked on ending that like rip, is a rip off or homage of, of King Kong where the T-Rex is loose in, I think in San Francisco or San, San Diego. Yeah. Let him loose. Shall I release Celine Dion? She's in a box. It's, I think, I think Jeff Goldblum is going to actually release Celine Dion. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, George, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Mm. Coulda, woulda, shoulda is when we discuss the actors that were, were considered but didn't get the roles. So, um, very interestingly and unsurprisingly, so Alan Grant, the man wearing a lovely fedora hat, the first person that came to mind for Spielberg was Harrison Ford. Wow. And I think he actually uh, turned it down because he didn't feel the part was right for him. And after seeing the film, he said he made the right choice. Interesting. But interestingly, for the role of John Hammond, another, well, somebody that was actually Scottish was considered another Sir, Sir Sean Connery. So, Wow. Imagine having Harrison Ford and Sean Connery in a Spielberg film. Wow. Oh, I know. Getting the band back together. So, yeah, that, that could have been really interesting to see uh, Connery uh, in that role. But, yeah, he, uh, he uh, turned down the role. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the most interesting could have, would have, should have. And I'm not sure how accurate if this is an actual fact or this is fan wish fulfillment but I talked earlier about James Cameron almost getting the rights to the film apparently in James Cameron's version he wanted to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Alan Grant role I'll be damned oh my god can you just imagine the raptors share a lot in common with birds <laughs> <laughs> what but you so, know so it would have just descended into one man Ar one man Arnie taking on we the just raptors. imagine him in a ripped shirt yeah. muscles bulging um, but really interestingly and you know being a James Cameron film there was obviously a role for Bill Paxton and he wanted Bill Paxton to be the Ian Malcolm role again I think that would have worked that would have worked uh, and most interestingly for the role of John Hammond John Heston yeah that could work from my cold dead hands <laughs> but uh, bizarrely enough and I say I don't know how accurate this uh, this fact is because all three of those actors would go on to star in the 1994 James Cameron film True Lies. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's um, that's coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. And so, um, what next? I ha I've seen the four. I haven't seen Fallen Kingdom. Uh, in terms of the most recent one, uh, Jurassic World. I think we talked about it before. I, I thought it was, I was expecting more from it. I was expecting a bigger bad, but you know, you've got to see what, what the idea of the film is to reintroduce the idea of Jurassic Park to a new audience. So it doesn't matter how similar it is to the original. I did actually like the end of uh, Jurassic World. Uh, no spoilers really, but I, I did like the, the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of that film. There was some 
sort of black comedy moments, the, the type of thing that I appreciate. But no, I think we have uh, covered everything. George, next, we will, Retro Ramble will return. Um, what we, are we covering next? We will we'll return and we'll still be getting topical because we are going to, with the release of our probably our most anticipated blockbuster of the summer following uh, Avengers Infinity War. There is the release of Mission Impossible 6, also known as Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm -hmm. We will be going back and we will be looking at Mission Impossible 1 and 2 as a special. Yeah, a special. So we're covering two films. We're basically covering the Mission Mission Impossible franchise as it was in the 90s. We don't care if you tell us that um, MI2 came out in 2000. It was made in 1999 uh, and we will obviously get to the 2000s at some stage so yeah very much looking forward to that George and I um, we have a history with especially the second of this we, film we, we have a, a fondness for Mission Impossible 2 that many do not have yeah and there obviously we have um, we're hoping to be close to it's the release of Fallout um, so more information on that later from our friends uh, at Paramount I don't know. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we're going to go and, I don't know, we're going to go and find some amber. We're going to go and sell some dino embryos. Um, I've, I've, I've chartered us a, a chopper to Costa Rica because I've spared no expense. Spared no expense. Thank you for listening. And uh, please check us out on all of the channels. We're on uh, retroramble.blog. Um, and on our website, it's probably the quickest place to go. You'll see all of our other links, but we're obviously we're on Spotify. Uh, we're on iTunes. We are on um, what, Stitcher. Stitcher is a new place. Uh, I have also submitted us onto Acast. So that's a, another podcasting platform. So you can get us through the Acast app as well. Um, so yeah, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're even on YouTube if you want to listen to us through that. But you'll just be looking at a static picture of Charlie and I's faces. So might not be very fun for you. But keep the uh, keep the comments and suggestions coming. Um, and obviously, if we've made any mistakes or if there's any other trivia that you think should be tacked on, George normally follows up these episodes with a review of his. I do. I do. And uh, we very much like to hear from you so please send those in and uh, if we've missed anything it'll definitely get in the review and you'll get a mention follow us on Facebook we will share you know uh, all the things that tickle us in terms of memes and uh, things like that yeah okay so thank you very much and we'll see you next time bye bye Jurassic Park, scary in the dark. I'm so scared that I'll be eaten.